Good morning, church. Every Sunday. Notice that. I'm up here. I'm excited to preach the word. Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning, church. There you go. Hey, let's see if you can recognize this little song, okay? Won't you be my neighbor? Hello, neighbor. Anybody? No? Okay, some of you are too young to know, but there was a program called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and me, an old guy, used to watch it all the time. I used to love it. This guy would get home from work, he'd change into a sweater, change his shoes, and what he'd do for the rest of that time together with him, he would introduce us to different people. He would introduce us to his neighbors, different backgrounds, different cultures, different beliefs, different careers. Mr. Rogers was introducing to us who our neighbor was. When I say that word neighbor, what comes to your mind? Maybe if you're like me, you probably think of the guy who lives next to you, the family that lives behind you, in front of you, the people that live in the community. Maybe that's your definition of neighbor. But today, as we continue our series, What Did Jesus Mean?, a series on the parables, we're going to see the true definition, maybe a redefinition of what neighbor is. Jesus is going to tell us clearly who our neighbor is and what that represents. Before we get to today's parable, I want to first give you a little bit of context, maybe a little foundation so we can better understand the meaning and the teaching of today's parable. So if you have your Bibles with you, please open them up to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew 22. Let me give us a little bit of context before we actually read what Matthew has to say to us this morning. As always, the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, want to go and try and trip up Jesus. So the Pharisees go to Jesus and they ask him a tax question. They think they're the IRS for some reason. And so Jesus says, you know what? Hand me over a fish, he pulls out a coin, and he tells this straight to the Pharisee's face. Give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar. Give to God what belongs to God. And the Pharisee's like, man, we couldn't trick him. So they go back and they try to hook up with the Sadducees. So now the Sadducees go and they ask him a question. They say, Jesus, we knew this guy who was married, and what happened is her husband died. But her husband had a brother. So the brother married her. But guess what? That brother died. But he had five other brothers. <laughs> Who would have guessed it? All of them died. So my question, our question, Jesus, is after going through seven brothers, who is this lady going to be married to in eternity? Jesus, knowing what the Sadducees were trying to do, knowing that the Sadducees didn't even believe in the afterlife, in the eternal life, he answers their question with a question, and then he quotes Genesis 2. The Sadducees are like, man, we couldn't get him either. So they go back, and they huddle up, and then they're looking around. They say, wait a second, I got somebody. This is it. Send that guy. He's an expert in the law. He knows the Old Testament like the back of his hand. Send him. He will trick Jesus. So that's what we're going to pick up 
Matthew 22, verse 34. And this is what Matthew has to say about this incident. But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked Jesus a question to test him. Teacher, he asked, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, you should love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. Now remember, when Jesus is teaching and preaching, he's got a crowd. Hundreds, sometimes thousands of people. So I'm sure this is happening when he was talking to this lawyer. And I'm sure as well that most of the people listening to this conversation were Jews. So when Jesus was asked this question, all Jews were like, oh, oh, I know, I know. Every Jew knew the answer to this question because every Jew knew what is known as a Shema. Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, this is what the Shema says. This is what Jesus was quoting. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart and with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. All Jewish people knew that showing God that you loved him meant that you obeyed him. And when you obeyed God, God was happy. And if God was happy, everybody was happy. Even mama. Now you guys are asleep. Okay. So what he was saying is like, hey, you know the answer to this. Everybody here knows the answers to it. So when Jesus responds the way he responds, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, this is the first commandment, everybody there said, yes, of course. Good job, Jesus. You're a good teacher. You know the word. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He goes on in verse 39. And listen to what he says. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now picture this. The people probably listening to this conversation said, whoa, 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 whoa. The second? You mean there's a one and a second? That's not what I remember. And Jesus was saying, no. No, no, no. The second is just like it. The second is only second in six sequence. There's the one and the second both equal, both the great commandment. That's what Jesus was saying. What Jesus was trying to say was, look, if you really love God, then you really must love your neighbor. Loving your neighbor shows everybody truly how much you love God. That's what he was saying. What Jesus was saying was this. Your love for God is demonstrated by loving your neighbor. That's what Jesus meant when he said there's a one and a two and both are equally great. He goes on and says that these two commandments make up the whole law. Look what he says in verse 40. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Jesus is saying these two commandments summarize the law. See, the love that we have for God is a vertical love. The love that we should have for our neighbor is a horizontal love. And Jesus was saying these two commandments are it. Think about it. 
the Ten Commandments that we have, the first four, it's all about vertical love, loving God. The last six of the Ten Commandments is all about horizontal love, loving each other. And that's what Jesus was teaching and preaching to the crowd that morning. That's the foundation I want to set up. So now we can go into today's parable. Bibles, Luke chapter 10. Turn with me to chapter 10 of the Gospel of Luke. We're going to pick up in verse 25. And here's what Luke has to say about another incident. He says, and behold, a lawyer stood up, another guy, to put him to the test. Jesus was used to it. Saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What do I need to do to have everlasting life? And Jesus said, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? You're a smart guy. What does the law, what does the Old Testament tell you? And this young guy says, well, I don't know if he was young, but verse 27, he says this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength, the Shema, and with all your mind. And then he says, and your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus responds, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. He's saying, good job there, young man. You were paying attention when I taught that, weren't you? You got it. Simple. Do these things, the two greatest commandments, and you will live. And again, I picture the crowd saying, yeah, yeah, we get it. Sounds good to me, Jesus. Way to go, lawyer. But the lawyer has another question for Jesus. He doesn't stop there. Verse 29, desiring to justify himself, he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? See, this lawyer knows, right? Okay, Jesus, you just told us in the Gospel of Matthew that the way we love our neighbor demonstrates the way we love God. If I really love God, you're telling me to love my neighbor. I just want to make sure, who is this neighbor you're talking about? Who is my neighbor? How much do I have to love him? But more importantly, I need to know so I can love on that neighbor to show everybody how much I love God. I want to justify myself. Now again, the crowd, being a Jewish crowd, knew the answer to this question. Most Jewish people knew the Old Testament. So when this guy asked, who is my neighbor, the crowd was like, I know, I know. If you turn with me to Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18, here's what a neighbor says, or is a definition of a neighbor, according to the law. You should not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Did you catch it? Did you catch what the definition of a neighbor is? Let me read it again. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. See, to a Jewish person, a neighbor was another Jewish person. So when they heard, love your neighbor as you love yourself, they would think to themselves, I got it. Jewish guy, Jewish guy, Jewish gal, Jewish gal. We can love each other as ourselves as long as we're Jewish. Got it. But see, Jesus 
answers the question of who is my neighbor by telling a parable. Verse 30, Jesus replies, a man, most likely a Jewish businessman, was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, it says, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And the lawyer's probably thinking to himself, what does this have to do with my question, Jesus? I'm asking about a neighbor. You're telling me about a guy who's half dead. Makes no sense. Jesus continues, verse 31. Now by chance, a priest, a Jewish religious leader, a priest was going down that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Verse 32. So likewise, a Levite, another religious Jewish leader. When he came to the place and saw this poor, half-dead guy, he too passed by on the other side. Two Jewish men, two Jewish religious leaders see this poor fella on the ground, half-dead, and they go to the other side completely ignoring him. They're probably thinking to themselves, I'm not going to deal with that guy. He's probably dead. And Jewish law would prohibit any Jewish man to touch another dead body. If they did, they had to go through all these cleansing ceremonies and they were considered unclean. So I'm thinking these two Jewish leaders were saying, nah, better not. I ain't got time for that. I don't want to do all these ceremonies and who cares about that guy. I'm going to go on my way. That's so far what Jesus was talking about in the parable. But here... Here's where it gets really interesting, I think. Verse 33, Jesus goes on and says this, but a Samaritan. The people listening probably went, what did he just say? Did Jesus just say the S word? No, no puede ser. Can't be. No, he didn't. See, Jewish people and Samaritans hated each other. Hated each other. To a Jewish person, a Samaritan was worse than a cowboy fan. That's how much they hated each other. <laughs> Bad. Why? Let me give you a little bit of history. See, we read in 1 Kings that the nation of Israel splits up into two. You have the northern kingdom where the Samaritans worshipped, made up of ten tribes. And the Samaritans say that the only true place of worship was Mount Gerizim. The southern kingdom, made up of two tribes, Judas and Benjamin, they said, no, the only true place that one needs to worship and should worship God was in the temple that was in Jerusalem. So because of this and so many other things, they divided and they hated each other. They couldn't stand each other. They couldn't look at each other. They couldn't talk to each other, much less, as Jesus was implying, help each other. But Jesus says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Now that word compassion means to be deeply moved, to really feel love for someone. Compassion always, always leads you into action, doing something. And so this Samaritan 
feels compassion. And here's what he does. Verse 34. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Again, the crowd is going, there is no way, Jesus, a Samaritan doing this for a Jew, pouring oil and wine. You know how expensive that is? And you're telling me that he gave up his own animal, that the Samaritan literally walked miles to a hotel while the Jewish guy was on the animal. Cabi, no way. But Jesus says, no, 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 there's more. He goes on in verse 35. Jesus says, and the next day. Okay, here the crowd just loses it. Protest, there's people being thrown up in the air. No way. Did he just say the next day? This guy spend the night with him? Impossible. He says, and the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. Take care of him. And if it costs you more, whatever the cost is, it doesn't matter. I will pay it. Just take care of him. And I'll be back to settle whatever it costs. Wow. A Samaritan, an enemy of the Jewish people, took the time to care, to feel compassion for this half-dead Jewish person. Spend his money, made sure that he was well taken care of. Now, Jesus, I believe at this t- time, he, he turns to the lawyer who asked the question of who his neighbor was. And he says this in verse 36. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And I'm guessing that this lawyer took his time, probably a little bit upset, And he says, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus has just redefined what a neighbor is. Jesus turned to this lawyer and asked him straight up, tell me of these three guys I just told you about in this parable, tell me of these three guys, which one really showed that he loved God with all his heart, with all his mind, and with all his strength. Tell me which one of these three guys really loved his neighbor as he did himself, thus demonstrating his true love for God. Tell me. And this this lawyer couldn't even say the word Samaritan. He responds, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus concludes a parable in verse 37. He says, you go and do likewise. You go and be a Samaritan. You go and love your neighbor. You go and love anyone and everyone. See, Jesus was redefining the definition of a neighbor when he was saying your neighbor is everyone. What Jesus was saying is that neighbor love has no boundaries. What Jesus was saying is love, neighboring, loving your neighbor is evidence, true evidence of loving God. That's the definition that Jesus was clarifying in this parable. Let me give you today's application, my sermon point that I believe really fits this application of the parable. Jesus is telling you and telling me is this. 
my love for God is demonstrated by my love for others. My love for God is demonstrated by my love for others. If you say you truly love God, then you have to truly love others. We read later on in the Gospel of John that Jesus is sitting at the last supper with his disciples, his apostles, 12 of them. He washes their feet. Judas gets up to betray Jesus. He stays, Jesus does, with the 11 others. And he tells them, I'm going to leave. And where I'm going, you guys can't come. Peter says, no, no, I'm going with you, Jesus, no matter what. And then Jesus responds this way. John chapter 13, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you. The apostles were like, really, another one, Jesus? He says this, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Think about this. When Jesus spoke these words for the first time, the cross hadn't happened yet. The apostles had an idea, but they had not seen Jesus hanging on the cross, suffering for the punishment of your sins and my sins. They hadn't seen that yet. And Jesus was saying, love one another the way I have loved you thus far. Because in two days or tomorrow, you're going to see true love. Love that is unconditional. Love that goes beyond anything anyone could ever imagine. But for now, I want you to love one another the way I have loved you these past three years. And I love what Andy Stanley says about this situation. He probably, Jesus, looks at Matthew and says, Matthew, remember when I first met you? A tax collector? Who loved you? Nobody. Everybody hated you, Matthew. Your family disowned you, Matthew. But what did I do? I loved you. I went to have dinner with you. I accepted you. Matthew, go and do the same to your neighbor. Go and love others the way I've loved you. Nathaniel, did you remember the first time we met, buddy? What did you do? You made fun of me, man. What did you say? What good can come out of Nazareth? But what did I do? I didn't reject you. I didn't tell you that you're my enemy. I didn't want to put revenge on you. No, Nathaniel, I accepted you. Even though you made fun of me. Go and do the same. When people don't like you, when they ridicule you, you lash out with love as I have lashed out with love to you. Peter, my friend, my best friend, in a little bit, you're going to betray me, man, three times. But you know what, Peter? I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to love you. Peter, people are going to hurt you, and you need to forgive them the way I've forgiven you. You need to love them the way I have loved you. That's what Jesus was saying. Love one another the way I have loved you. But he goes on. John 13, verse 34 through 35, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. Verse 35, by this all people, people that are watching, people that are observing you, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Church, What Jesus is telling us, his definition of a neighbor is that we are all neighbors. 
And Jesus clearly said, as we just read, if you truly love me, love one another. And by this, people will know that you truly are my disciples. That's what I want grace to be. That's who grace is. A community, a family that only, not only loves us, but loves others. Church, we are called to love all our neighbors, no matter their political stance, no matter their religious stance, no matter where they are in the walk with Christ, where they've been, what they've done. We don't have to accept their sin and approve of their sin, but we do have to love all. That's the church that God has called Grace Bible Church to be. Love one another so that others can say, wow, they really love God. Let's pray. Father, we do give you thanks and praise that you've given us a love that is unmeasurable, really ununderstandable. The fact that you sent your son to die on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. That we will never understand. But Father, one thing we should understand, one thing we should do, as we just heard, is to love one another. All of us are sinners in need of your son as a savior. And by showing the love that you've called us to show, I pray that others see the love we have for you. Not a superficial love, not a religious love, but a love that comes from the heart. Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit moves in us to be able to live out the greatest command we just heard, loving you with all our hearts, all our minds, and on our souls, and loving our neighbor as we love ourselves. We pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. I truly love you, church. God bless you.